Africa. So I'm glad you showed up. So at least I have somebody to talk to because my wife did not want to hear this message one more time. So uh, anyways, we, uh, we are c- coming back to the book of Acts. We are making a journey uh, through the book of Acts on a series entitled Hosting the Spirit's Presence. And uh, we went through the first seven chapters. We took a break, like we're going to take a break after every seven chapters. And now we are coming back to um, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to pick up. So we are celebrating Memorial Day weekend, and certainly this is a time of remembering the men and women who, who through the years have given their lives um, in military service while protecting, again, the rights and the freedoms of we as American citizens. And, uh, you know, again, we have many of you who have served in the military. We have families who have served in the military. Uh, certainly my father-in-law is one of those, retired from the Air Force. Actually, um, he was stationed at Rickenbacker uh, Air Force Base back in the 60s. Uh, he and his, my wife and her parents, her sister and parents, were members of this church. Um, in fact, my mother-in-law played the piano here uh, back in the late, like, 1969, 68, 69, somewhere in there. And uh, so they, um, like many military families, traveled around the world, literally. And uh, my father-in-law did a, a tour in Vietnam, uh, when he was called for his um, second tour, uh, that's when he kind of opted out uh, of uh, active duty and, and went and finished out in reserves. So uh, I have an uncle who is a retired colonel in the Army who lives um, in North Carolina, and so I haven't seen him in a long time. But about 10 years ago, I went to visit my father, and I said, hey, let's go visit Uncle Larry. I hadn't seen him in many, many years and got to sit down and talk with him and uh, just reminisce about his his years serving in the military, and uh, so grateful for all of you who have done that. Now, as a soldier, uh, you know that you operate under the, uh, the authority of a commanding general or officer, and you are commissioned into doing a particular job in a t- particular place. So um, in a very similar fashion, I want us to approach Acts chapter 8 in understanding the manner to which God has called our lives to be laid on the line for his kingdom, right? So God has called us, the Bible says, out of darkness into the light of his beloved son, the the kingdom of God. And so God has commissioned us to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to pick up here in uh, Acts chapter 8. And since we have been commissioned by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, um, he He calls us, so to speak, to serve in a particular place, in a particular way uh, in which we we deliver the message of of the good news of Jesus. And we're going to look at why that is so important. Um, While we are not fighting a physical battle, we are very much engaged in a spiritual war. Uh, There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan that are at war with one another in the spiritual realm, in the unseen realm of things. And so, though we do not pick up, you know, weapons, uh, we do not fly planes with bombs or any of those kinds of military actions, we are very much engaged in a war that has very, uh, you know, huge things at stake here. Um, And it's the lives of people. Because, um, wow, we have a message that is so powerful 
that we can share that message with somebody and watch somebody who literally is spiritually dead be brought back to spiritual life and experience a resurrection. We have a message that is so powerful that we can deliver that message and they can respond to it positively and move out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We have a message that is so powerful that not only can God forgive a person of all of their guilt and shame from their sin and wipe their slate clean and give them a brand new beginning, but you also have a message that can bring hope and healing into hearts and lives that have been deeply wounded because of um, at the hands of somebody else or at the issues of life that has created such woundedness within them that it constantly controls their lives and devastates them every single day. You know, we, uh, we, have the, we have the message, in essence, that can bring healing into people's lives. Now, sadly, according to a recent study, and this was posted by a friend of mine, uh, Nick Nye, who used to be the pastor at Veritas, is now pastoring in New York. Uh, George Barna just came out with a brand new study, and he discovered that in this study uh, that only... 17% of American evangelicals actually know, could quote, the Great Commission and then explain what that means. 57% couldn't even tell you what the Great Commission was or what it means. I, I read that and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Surely, 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 that has to be a mistake. So I want to make sure... <laughs> that you don't walk out of here this morning and not know what is the Great Commission and why is it so important. So the Great Commission, probably the most familiar one that we read is Matthew uh, 28, verses 18 through 20, that tells us that as we are going, we are to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to teach them to obey all the commandments that God has given, all the teachings of Jesus that God has given, that we are to make disciples. We are to teach them what Jesus taught his disciples, how to live under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, how to make sure that their, their prayer lives are, are, are um, you know, a, a daily thing in which, which they're filling the well of their spirit their soul uh, each and every day and how to make God's word the center of their lives and the basis of their faith and decision making and how to establish relationships of love and integrity and in order to share the message, how, how to worship, how to worship the Father. All of those things were things that Jesus poured into his disciples that we in turn want to pour into the hearts and lives of others because remember, there is a battle of two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And Satan was cast out of heaven along with a third of the angelic beings who wanted to be worshipped, who wanted to overtake the throne of God, and he was cast down here to earth. And so in his rebellion, uh, God could have spoken a word and annihilated Satan and the demonic beings that, that went with him. Angels that were fallen. Could have, could have done that. But God chose instead in order to, to build a kingdom right in um, Satan's backyard. And so God creates the heavens and the earth in that he, he takes this earth which is formless and void and which Satan has been cast down to and somewhat limited to uh, and he establishes the Garden of Eden and he puts Adam and Eve right in the center of that garden. 
And God intended for them to rule over the earth, and he gave them the authority by which to do that. He gave them the power by which they could accomplish that. And their instructions were pretty simple. Live a productive life. Have children who have children. Subdue the earth from the destructive and chaotic powers that are rampant outside the garden. And God's intention was that mankind would continue to surrender and to submit to him, and they would have children, and they would disciple those children who would also be under the authority and the power of the kingdom of God in relationship with the Father, and they would continue to expand outside of the garden all across the globe, and thus they would have defeated a human being created in the image of God, a worshiper of God by choice, would have, created, would have defeated Satan and his his demonic beings. But as you know, with the fall of Adam and Eve, they handed their authority, their power, they gave up the power, they handed their authority over Satan, who now took authority and began ruling and reigning upon the earth. And so Jesus comes in the form of a human being, God in deity and humanity, one and the same, fully God, fully human, Jesus came and he lived his life as a human being under the, under the anointing, under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God to show us how to live as divine beings, as that is divinity not in that we are gods, but just in God's image we have been created, that how we could live under the power of the Holy Spirit and thus take the authority of God and the power of God and bring a little bit of heaven down here to earth. And that was the commission that he gave to his disciples. He said, listen, let's not limit it, this just to you. And so as the disciples were called out by Jesus to follow him, to walk after him, to learn from him, and to begin living his life, they were under the umbrella of God, of Jesus' authority and power. And Jesus displayed his authority, his ex and his power, his dunamis, uh, here upon the earth, right? So he, he healed people. There were was, there was signs, there were wonders, there were miracles. And Jesus forgave people of sin, and, and Jesus brought healing and wholeness back into people's lives in which sin have, had devastated them. And so five times Jesus gave this commission that we are to t take the authority, all authority on heaven and earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. And now I've passed it down. I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I've given you the um, exousia, the, 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 which is the commission of Christ, which means Jesus taught his disciples to pray what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so just as Jesus brought hope and healing into the lives of humanity by his presence, operating under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, he now transferred that to his disciples. And so, at the Great Commission, when Jesus was resurrected, he talked to his disciples about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And at the end of that discussion, he says, Now, I want you to go into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait, because you are going to be endowed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And after that, he ascends back into heaven, and they go and they gather in the upper room, about 120 of them. And sure enough, after their time of prayer, comes the Holy Spirit who empowers them. And so through the Great Commission, they were given the authority of Christ. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now they have the power of Christ operating in them. 
And their goal is to do what? To bring hope and to healing into a world that has been racked and devastated by sin and that has been under uh, the authority uh, of the evil one until Jesus took that authority back. So you can, you know, flesh this out when you read Ephesians chapter 2. So... uh, now, here's what is interesting is that when Paul came along, he said in Romans 1.16 that the gospel, uh, the message that we have, is the power of God unto salvation. Now, the word salvation is the Greek word sozo. And when we think about the power of God unto salvation, we think, okay, well, the gospel is about people getting their sins forgiven. Well, that's a part of it, but not all of it. Right? So the word sozo means literally to save, to heal, and to deliver. In fact, you'll find that word translated all throughout the New Testament in such a manner. And so, for example, salvation. If you confess your, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. You shall be sozoed. When it comes to healing, but Jesus turning and seeing her said, Daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well, sozo. And at once the woman was made well, sozo. So so here's a a physical healing. It's the same thing as true with emotional healing and and woundedness. And in deliverance, uh, again, it says, And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, sozo. And so my point is this, is that when Jesus came in the power of the gospel, all right, he came to save and to heal and to deliver. And that same power, that same authority has now been given over to the church of Jesus Christ. We have the same message. We have the same Holy Spirit who has anointed us, who has indwelt us, who guides us, who directs us, who encourages us, who empowers us as Jesus had. And therefore, as you open up the book of Acts, you see that happening all over the place, right? So they are out there. They're sharing the message of Jesus. And God is doing some miraculous things in the early church. Peter stands up. He preaches. 3,000 people get saved. And and on and on it goes. By the time you get to Acts chapter 8, there are an estimated fifteen to 20,000 people in the early church in Jerusalem because they responded to the message that was being given by the apostles. You see, God's desire is to to bring about salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Most people live their lives just absolutely filled with guilt and shame because of their sins, the things that they have done. And they feel like prisoners in their own body. And so the power of the gospel is Jesus came to forgive the guilt and the shame to heal us spiritually, to put, bring spiritual life where there's spiritual death. Jesus came to bring healing into our lives. There are many, many people who experience emotional, deep, profound emotional woundedness in their lives, especially as children, growing up in, as children in adolescence, and those things you carry all throughout adulthood. And there are many people who are so filled with, with anger and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and greed and all of those things that are coming out of this woundedness because God has this design. And when we move outside of God's perfect design, that's called sin, and sin always leads to broken. And brokenness will always cause you to find some kind of coping mechanism in that area of your brokenness. 
And so we do. We try to cope. We shoot it up in our arm. We snort it up our nose. We watch it on, uh, you know, through pornography. There are all kinds of coping mechanisms out there. And there is a world out in front of us who needs the divine touch of the hand of Jesus Christ. And we are the messengers that bring the good news of the gospel to bear on their lives, bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth so that they might experience God's healing. And let's not forget the demonic side. It's amazing how many Christians like, you know, well, demons, you know, that's really not for today. I've heard that statement so many times. I just want to say, you've got to be kidding me. That's the whole deception of Satan is hey, you don't even realize he's operating. And yet the Bible talks about the strongholds he sets up in your mental thought processes that govern you and direct your life. And, and you, you don't even realize that you are being, you know, toyed with by the evil one because you have these strongholds in your mind that God wants to break free out of your thought processes so that you begin thinking with the mind of Christ. But few believers are operating in the authority and the power of the gospel, and thus it affects the message. Watch this. It affects the message that we're bringing to the world. For example, when Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, and there's a great storm. He's asleep in the, in the front of the boat, right? And so the disciples are fearing for their lives because this storm is, is raging. Why was Jesus asleep? Because he was filled with peace. He had nothing to fear. Yeah, this, this storm was, was not something that was like, you know, creating this deep emotional fear. And so even when he woke up, it's, it, there was peace in him. And so he speaks to the storm and he brings peace around him. How did he bring peace around him? He brought peace around him because he had peace in him. How did he get peace in him? Because the lifestyle of Jesus and what he taught us is that every single day he began his morning doing what? communing and worshiping with the Father, filling the well of his soul so that when he stepped out of that time of communion with the Father, his heart was so full of peace, it didn't matter what the world brought to bear around him because he had peace in him, he could bring peace to bear on that which was around him. Now let's translate that into our lives. We read a passage like Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. Hey, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of Christ that surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And yet, uh, there are so many Christians who are living so filled with anxiety and worry and all these things. I had somebody, I, I read a post by a, a believer who says, you know, they were talking about their anxiety issues and how they struggle with that. And, and I, I tried this, that, and the other. And, and they came to the conclusion, you know what's really helped me? What has really helped me is essential oils. Now, I got nothing against essential oils. I smell them all the time because my wife is into that kind of thing. Uh, but listen, it is Jesus who can heal the anxiety issues. But watch this. Here's what we do is that rather than spending time with the Father and filling our well and worship and allowing God to fill us with the peace of Christ is that we as Christians, we like kind of put that on the back burner and we kind of skim in that relationship. And then when all of a sudden there is a storm in life that comes against us that is bearing down on us, creating anxiety within us because we have nothing in the well to draw from, we throw up a prayer to God and say, God, will you just please, you know, throw some peace down from heaven down into my soul. When God was saying, would say to us, in essence, listen, 
I want to fill your heart with peace. I want you to be prepared before the storm, not when you get in it, okay? It's better to be prepared before you are in the storm. Because what it, watch this, because it's my whole key concept out of the book of Acts is this, is that the message that you and I bring to bear in the world in which we live as followers of Jesus Christ, our message to the public is the result of your life with God in private, You see, if I'm living my Christian life with a heart that is full of anxiety and anger and jealousy and envy and bitterness and unforgiveness because of past woundedness that I've not received healing yet in my life, then what message do I have to bring to the world? Oh, come to Jesus. Uh, look, you'll get your you know, fire insurance to he- out of hell into heaven, uh, but you know... The other stuff in your life, ah, he can't take care of that. Oh, yes, he can. And he will. If you will come to him and you're asking for it and you're seeking it, it might be that it doesn't happen on your own. It might be that you need a team of people to come around you and help walk you through that process. But Jesus came into the world to bring what? Salvation, to save us from our sins, from the wrath of God, and to bring healing where there is woundedness, and to bring healing where there might be need of physical healing, and to bring the deliverance of demonic oppression or strongholds or whatever Satan is using against us, he will will bring the lies to bear and he will stack it up against the truth and he will say, here are the lies that you've been believing, here are the lies that you've based your entire life on and here's the truth of the gospel now, let's break the strongholds let's start living by the truth and let's start living saved healed and delivered, let's start living free that's the message we have for the the world That's the message we've been commissioned to bring to bear upon society. But if we're going to maximize that message, there are some pitfalls that we have to avoid and some cautions that we need to consider. So, uh, uh, yeah, let me uh, move on here. Uh, I'm going to unpack some of this. Don't worry. We don't get through the whole outline. We'll finish it up next week. But here's the pit, first pitfall we have to be aware of is that we must avoid the stagnation of our message by spreading the gospel. You'll recall in chapter 7, Stephen, he uh, was kind of like one of the first deacons back in Acts chapter 6. He was a man who was a servant who was full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he comes against the, you know, the, the religious elite and he, he ends his message to them by calling them stiff-necked people who were uncircumcised in their hearts and, and, and in their ears. Well, that'll get a favorable response, won't it? And so, yeah, they got a little ticked off, and they decided, you know what? We're going to take him out. That's it. We're done. We're going to take him out. And so that's exactly what they do. They pick up stones, and they start stoning Stephen. And as they are stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And I believe that prayer rung in the ears of Saul, who was there holding the clothing of those who were doing the stoning, because he was the perpetrator of this persecution. 
And we find that out as we enter into chapter 8 and verse 1. Uh, it, it says that on that day, a gr- not a persecution, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy. That word destroy is like a boar hog that's like ripping its way through you know, a, a field. I mean, Paul, listen, Paul says of himself later on, his, his name is Saul, later will be changed when he comes to faith in Christ. He said of himself, listen, I'm a zealous person. I do nothing halfway, man. When I go at it, I mean, I go at it, and he's going at it. He, he believes it's his personal calling of God on his life to wipe out this, this group of people who are calling themselves the way, the followers of Jesus. And he's going he's to stop at nothing. So he goes from house to house. He drags off men and women, and he puts them into prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he had to say. And with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Avoiding stagnation of our message. If you were to pick up a dictionary and look up the word stagnation, uh, it would say something like, it's something that ceases to run or ceases to flow. Uh, It becomes stagnant. It becomes standing still. It becomes sluggish. It becomes foul and smell. Um, And if we're not careful, what if the early church had have said to themselves, remember what Jesus says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and most parts of the world. What if the early church would have said to themselves, well, listen, you know what? God is doing some great things here in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, man, we are like 15,000 strong. God's just doing miracles. People are getting saved day in and day out. We're gathering in our homes. We are breaking bread together. We are sharing everything that we own together. Life is good. You know, we just need to kind of settle down in our holy huddle right here and just like, you know, let's just live this thing out and just stay here till Jesus comes back because after all, it might be next week. So why, why rock the boat? No, that's not what they did. Or was it? That's what they tried to do. But then all of a sudden, God said, no, 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 wait a minute. This is not the plan. The plan is to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. So the Bible says that the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem, and certainly there were probably others besides them, but most of them, they're scattered out. Now, notice what they're doing. They... How do you avoid stagnation? You avoid stagnation in a church. You avoid stagnation in your Christian life when you are out there spreading the gospel message. And here's why you avoid stagnation. is because when you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and you're watching people get saved and you're watching people get healed, whether it's physically or emotionally, and you're watching people get get, um, delivered, do you think that... Philip was a little fired up after all this was happening. Absolutely he was fired up. He had a testimony. He had a message to share. He was not going to shut up for any reason because he's seen God do some miraculous things. My question for you and for me is, what are the miraculous things that God is doing through you? What is the message that you are bringing to bear on a lost world? What is the message? Listen, your message is going to flow right out of Your private life with God. Someone said to me, 
You know the only restriction to somebody being healed, especially emotionally, is believing there's a restriction. Listen, I've watched God in my own life heal me of deep, deep emotional woundedness. I've watched him deliver me from drugs and alcohol. I've watched him deliver me in areas and heal me in areas physically. I've watched God do that in the lives of of many, many other people. Has everyone I've ever prayed for been healed? No. But there are some reasons for that, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. Is everyone that I ever pray for going to be healed? Probably not physically, but I guarantee you this. Every person that I've ever been a part of who has sought God out for emotional healing from the trauma that they carry around from childhood into adulthood, God, without, without even blinking an eye, has brought them release even after years and years of counseling in this area of their life. When God's Holy Spirit brings his light to bear upon the lie-based thinking with his truth, and they accept that truth, and they digest that truth, so to speak, all of a sudden God breaks the bondage that has held them captive and in prison. And the reason why that we can't talk about that message for some of you, it's because you've not experienced it yourself. Instead, you have chosen to carry around that woundedness all throughout the course of your lifetime, thinking that God could maybe do it for others, but he cannot do it for you. That is a lie of the enemy. Stop swallowing that. Jesus said, I've brought some heaven to earth. I've come to save, and I've come to heal, and I've come to deliver. And that's the authority. That is the power that he has placed into the hands of the people of God, of the kingdom of God, so that we can bring that message to bear upon the lives of those who are outside of his kingdom. Notice very carefully what it says. The reason why the people were so interested in what Philip had to say, because they watched what he did. It says that they saw and they heard. That's how you bring the gospel to bear is that, you know, for me this is evangelism. It's ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city or a neighborhood or wherever to bring it joy through both word and deed. And then verse 8, interesting, it says, and there was great joy in the city. Well, of course there was great joy in the city. Not only was there great joy in the city for those who had received the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own lives and had their lives radically changed, but there was also joy in the life of Philip. There was also joy in the life of anyone who is out there sharing the message. I mean, the first time you watch somebody cross the line of faith or take a step closer to Jesus because you have shared something with them, I'm telling you, that just fires you up, right, and pumps you up, and there is no stagnation in your life because now you want to, man, you're wanting to walk deeper with God. You want to be deeper in his word. You want to fill that well because you want to allow God to live through you out of the overflow of your life. And so Philip um, comes and he, he shares, he preaches. And Luke makes the, the point for the first time that when the gospel left, watch this, when the gospel left Jerusalem, it was by lay people. And that's the way Jesus has laid out the Great Commission, is that all of us are commissioned. It's not the frozen few. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I've heard all kinds of things that say, well, uh, but you don't understand. Um, 
You know, I, I, it's, that's just not me. It's not my personality. I'm a shy individual. Uh, I don't find anywhere in the Bible that you get an out uh, because of your personality. There are, in fact, there are six different ways that you'll read in the New Testament that God can take anyone based on their giftedness and their personality and, and be able to effectively use them to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is, listen, this is our calling. And you notice he says that there were signs, there was wonders and a miracle. A sign points to something. The essence of a sign is not the sign itself. The, the, a sign is always pointing you to something else. And so the signs, the wonders, the miracles were happening to point them to Jesus, who was the author of their lives. And so we are to splash people, right? We are to show people love and share him. You have an oikos. You have a household. You have 18 to 20 people that God has put into your severe of influence that you have greatly, you have great ability to have influence over their lives and the message that you're sharing with them. So wherever you are, where you work, where you live, you're the missionary. You're the person who's to bring the message. Now, there might be more than one missionary in your neighborhood. I get that. I understand that. But just as I moved into a neighborhood, I look at myself as a missionary in that neighborhood. Am I the only Christian in that neighborhood? Absolutely not. So we're all missionaries in in my neighborhood, those who, who claim to be followers of Jesus. We have a message, right? And we want to share the message so that those who are in darkness can be brought into the light, into the kingdom of God's Son. But that will not happen unless somebody is speaking the message. Now, the second thing that happens here is that if we're going to be effective in maximizing um, our message is that we must avoid the distortion of our message by confirming the gospel. Listen, um, Satan is not going to sit back and, and watch this thing unfold. Now, now they've got 15,000, 20,000 in Jerusalem. Oh, my gosh. Imagine what happens when they get outside the city walls. And so he's already been trying to, you know, um, persecute from the inside and, and uh, somewhat from the outside. And now, you know, he, he brings on a full frontal attack. That doesn't seem to be stopping anything. And so now... Uh, here comes a man whose name is Simon. And it says that there was a man named Simon, verse 9, who was a sorcery in the city. He amazed the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and that all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. You know, now notice what it says. Simon says about him. He boasted. I mean, he was prideful. Like, man, I, I've got power here. I've got magic. I've got sorcery. I, I, I keep people, you know, just like engaged. They think I'm great. They think I'm divine, and which is always the promise of the enemy, right? All the way from the garden, you know. Come on, Adam. Come on, Eve. Um, you'll be like God. And they followed him because they, what? They, he amazed them for a long time with his magic. <laughs> now, everything God does... Satan counterfeits it. Right? So this man was filled with demonic power. Satan no longer has authority, but he does have a power. But in order for him to have any power over your life as a believer, you have to come in agreement with him over something. Right? For example, when Paul said in Ephesians 4, hey, anger, watch it. Don't let it get out of control, because if you do, you have now opened up a doorway 
for Satan to have a foothold into your life. Now, in order for that to happen, you've got to come in agreement with him. You've got to say, well, you know what, God? I don't care what you say about my anger. I'm going to relish my anger. I'm going to revel in my anger. I have a right to be angry at that person. And I'm going to, you know, but anger never stops with anger, right? It evolves into resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. And then we rationalize it and we coddle it and we make it a family heirloom and... We tell our sad story to everybody so that they will say, well, you know what? If that had happened to me, I don't blame you for not forgiving them. I don't blame you for the way that you treat them. I mean, after all, if they had done that to me, I would have reacted the same way. So we've given an agreement to Satan, and now he, he has a foothold in our lives. And now watch this. What's in my well? Anger and resentment and bitterness, and envy, and jealousy, unforgiveness. So if that's in my well, then what becomes my message? Nothing. I just stagnate. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I will, I will distort the gospel. And this is what happens with Simon, the magician. He you know, when we, we use the word magic here, it's not like he was going around doing card tricks, okay? So uh, in Scripture, um, there's a mixture, you know, uh, there was scientific knowledge involved, medicine, astronomy, math, superstition, you know, charms, interpreting dreams, horoscopes, and sleight of hand, and all these different things. Um, and so in, in our modern era, it would be like the equivalent of people who, you know, rely on horoscopes and crystals and tarot cards, and they claim they saw the Virgin Mary crying and collected her tears in a bottle and sell them to you for healing, and you buy it, and, or you saw the face of Jesus in a grilled cheese sandwich, put it on eBay and get $10,000 for it. I mean, 